0: So good, we we wanted seconds, just like dessert. All right, how's everybody doing today? Great, all right, you ready for this? All right, I hope you have, if you um, are a regular, if you're a visitor, obviously you wouldn't know anything about this, but if you are a regular, you've been here before, um, you, I hope you have your focus book because we're in a part, a second one of our series that we're doing for five weeks, focus season that we're doing this in small groups, sermon, the whole works. I hope you have this so you can follow along, daily devotions, family devotions, the whole works. Um, we are talking about breakthrough, and I want to start out just by letting you know that over the last couple of weeks. I have been looking for, or had been looking for a car for my daughter who is in college in Sioux Falls. And, uh, you know, the nice thing about today is, is you can do a lot of the research online without having to go all over the place to try to find these cars, and I do a lot of research. Uh, You can ask my wife this. I just kind of become obsessed with it because I want to get the right deal. Have you ever heard of this thing called the paradox of choice? that we have so many choices that it's hard for us to be satisfied when the time comes. And so uh, so I just want to make sure ahead of time that as best I can, that I can make sure that I'm getting the right car. And so when I look, I look, of course, the, at the reliability ratings. We're not buying her a new car by any means. And so I want to make sure that the car that I buy her with 90,000 miles is going to last until 150,000 miles at least. And uh, so I check out consumer reports and you know, try to give myself the best chance of that. I wanted to have a good track record. And then I want to find out what people who have owned the car before say about it. And you can find that kind of stuff online as well. Did they like it? Did they still like it after they've driven it a while? Um, then I compare that car with other cars that I found that are similar. And then finally I come up with a with a particular car that I want. And the great thing about online is, is that you can go in and you can just plug in the exact car you want and it'll pull up a number of different options and then you can go and search for them. And it's, and it's awesome. So after doing all of that, I decided on, I wanted a Mazda 3 hatchback. Great reliability ratings, um, all of that stuff. And it's cute too. And I knew Ellie would like that. And uh, so I started looking for one of those. Well, the first one I found was one that I found on Facebook Marketplace from a private owner who lived over in Wayzata. My Monday is my day off, and so I decided to drive over to Wayzata, and I was going to meet this gal after work um, at her workplace and drive the car. And after I drove it, I, uh, I liked it pretty well, but it was a little bit noisy and I thought, well, I've never driven one of these before, so I don't know if that's normal or if there's something a little bit wrong with this one. And so I think I'm going to go and try to drive some others. And that's where I made my fateful error in judgment. So Wayzata is over in the west suburbs, pretty pretty far out there. I decided that since I saw some of these cars online in the south suburbs, that I would just drive through the south suburbs and look for them. Um, I I didn't know exactly where they were, but I knew there were some dealerships along the way, so I thought if I just kind of wind my way through the south suburbs, I would find some dealerships, and probably one of them would show up there, right? This was a terrible idea. (laughs) Because I started driving, and at that point, it was rush hour, so my whole drive was about 15 miles per hour. And not only that, but I didn't find nearly as many dealerships as I thought I was going to find, and the ones that I did find only had late model cars that I couldn't afford anyway. And so there I was, six, uh, 5 o'clock, five thirty, six o'clock, 6.30, driving around the south suburbs looking for who knows what, and I was starting to get really frustrated, and in fact, I started to feel myself get agitated, and I started, like, yelling at the other drivers. And, uh, they, you know, they were in my way. I was getting hungry. I didn't feel like I was making any progress. And it was really pretty, pretty terrible. And then I realized that driving around looking for cars is a terrible idea. <laughs> how, and, and part of the reason is, is how could I know that I'm making progress if I don't have a destination in mind? And by the way... I, went, I wanted to figure out how long and how far I drove, and, and so did you know that your phone can track and will track everywhere you've been? Yes. Okay? Let me show you where I've been on Monday. I think, there you go. 129 miles right there. Okay? Way Wayzata down to Burnsville, Invergrove Heights, I mean, pretty much all the way around the loop on the bottom there. I didn't get all the way around the top. I'll have to try that another day, I guess. Um, Also, if this creeps you out, and uh, and you have an Android phone, I left mine down there, you actually can go to Settings, Google, Location, and you can turn it off, right? Unless you need an alibi, then leave it on and... (laughs) Or if you're planning on doing something wrong and you don't want to get caught, then turn it off, all right? But anyway, so you can turn that off if you think that's really creepy. But anyway, it was such a bad experience for me that at that point, I almost just went home. And uh, But then I knew that if I quit, then I would just have to do the whole thing over again. And so I thought, I need to persevere. I pressed on, but I decided this time I need a plan. I was hungry, so I stopped at Arby's in uh, Bloomington, and was that funny That was not funny <laughs> i like I like Arby's sorry all right It was about six thirty at that time, and you know at that time then the the car dealerships are getting close to starting to close, and so I really needed to to narrow this down and so i ate and I pulled out my computer and I found two cars, specific cars that I wanted to drive. One of them was down in Bloomington, one of them was in Invergrove Heights, and from that point on, my entire mood changed. Now, it might be because I ate something and I wasn't hangry anymore, uh, but I think it was actually because I knew where I needed to go. Um, and so I drove with purpose, and I drove with conviction. Well, maybe that's too far, but, but I drove with purpose. And, uh, and I knew I was making progress, um, and, and that made all of the difference in the world, because I knew my destination. In fact, I was so successful that I bought a car that night, and I still don't regret it. So anyway, the reason I tell you that story <clears throat> is that looking back, it occurs to me that this is the way a lot of people experience life today. Living life without any real sense of purpose. You know, maybe as kids they had purpose. I wanted to be a firefighter. I want to be a doctor. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have kids. I'm going to make a bunch of money. I'll be happy and you, so you have that purpose when you're a kid, but then as life goes on, then things don't always go the way you plan. Now, that one of two things could happen. Maybe they do go as, as you plan. Maybe you get good grades and you're able to get a, a good job and you have the kids or whatever the things that you want. Um, but at the same time, even though some of it is satisfying, in the end, you're still left wondering, is this really all there is to life? And then, of course, there are others who their life gets kind of derailed because of bad circumstances or poor choices that you made, and they derail the quest that you had for a life of purpose. Well, that's what I want to talk about today. In this series, we're talking to four different types of people or four different people in different stages of their spiritual journey, let's say it that way. We're talking to people, first of all, who are looking for something. And second, we're talking to people who would say that they found it, and they found it in Jesus, but it hasn't really gotten much further than that. They haven't really grown. You don't know that much more about the Bible, and you're still trying to figure this thing out, even though you made that commitment to Jesus a long time ago." We're talking to people who would say they're following it. People who have committed to Jesus and they've been making progress and know a lot about the Bible and are able to live it out and are excited about that. But even when you get to that point, sometimes you get to a stage where you feel stuck and you're hitting barriers in your faith. And then the fourth type of people are the ones who would say that they are all about it. People whose life is is centered on Jesus and everything you do centers on the kingdom of God. And today I want to talk about the first group, people who are looking for something. And if you are in that category, if you would put yourself in that category, I want you to consider one thing today, that maybe Jesus is the answer to what you've been looking for. Just keep that in mind. Now, when we say that someone is looking for something, I think most people have some idea what we're talking about. But when, when we say that someone has found it or they're following it, that might be a little bit more nebulous. We might not exactly know what that means. Well, in this case, we're talking about something very specific. Now, we've talked in the past about how our society tells us that um, that the it that we're looking for is different for everybody. Now, Um, A perfect example of that comes from the old movie City Slickers. I would call it a classic. I don't think it's a classic, but it's old. Um, But anyway, how many of you have seen the movie before? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, so a few of you have seen it. It's basically a movie where uh, Billy Crystal plays a high-powered businessman who lives in, I think, New York, and... He gets to this point where he realizes that life is not what he intended it to be. He's made a ton of money, but his wife hates him, and, uh, and he's just come to this sort of crisis in life. And so he hears about this dude ranch that he can go to to find himself. And while he's there, he, uh, he meets Jack Palance, and, uh, and Jack Palance gives him this word of advice.
1: Cowboy leads a different kind of life when there were cowboys. we are a dying breed. Still means something to me, though. A couple of days, we'll move this herd across the river, driving through the valley. (laughs) There's nothing like bringing in a herd. See, now that's great. Your life makes sense to you. (laughs) My wife basically told me she doesn't want me around. She read it. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. Uh, how old are you? 38. 39. Yeah. You all come off here about the same age, same problems. You spend about 50 weeks a year getting knots in your rope, and then, and then you think two weeks up here will time for you. None of you get it. Do you know what the secret of life is? No, what? this your finger one thing just one thing that's great but what's the one thing that's what you gotta figure out
0: for jack palance it's moving cows across a river right (laughs) that's the one thing now, this is something that our society tells us all the time, that, <clears throat> that there's that one thing. If you focus on that one thing, then you're going to be happy. <clears throat> and it seems like there are, there's something that I agree with in this and there's something that I disagree with, or at least I need to redirect it a little bit. What I agree with is that <clears throat> Curly agrees that in order to find peace in life, you need to have some sort of an end in mind. You need to have some kind of a destination in mind, okay, my car buying trip became much better once I had a destination, it gave me purpose and it gave me direction, and that's exactly what he was saying, but the point where I disagree on this movie, uh, where I disagree with Curly, is that he seems to imply that that one thing that will bring peace can be anything you choose, as long as you stay focused on that one thing, okay, and that's a popular thing to say today, but I don't think it's true. And probably some of you have found this out through life. And, uh, you know, last week we talked about the story of Clayton Christensen of of Harvard Business School who talked about how unhappy so many of his classmates who were so successful in business were uh, chasing money or career or success. And this is something that you see all the time. In fact, I've rarely... I've never heard anyone look back at the end of their life on their deathbed and and say, I just wish I'd spent more time at the office. Never heard anyone say that. You see, what you choose is that one thing is actually critical. Money will not do it. Career success won't do it. Sex will not do it. A life of comfort and ease won't do it. Raising kids, better, but even that's not enough. And not coincidentally, I think I agree with Jesus on this one. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells two parables, or I don't know if you can even call them parables. They may be more analogies than anything. But he he says this. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then, in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. And then he tells a second one that's just like it said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So according to Jesus, this thing called the kingdom of heaven is so good and so valuable that it's worth trading everything else in your life for. The man, when he sold the, the, bought the field, when he sold everything he had, he didn't do it out of obligation. He did it out of joy. He wasn't hesitant. He did it because he was so excited about what he found that he considered the decision a no-brainer. And so the question is, is if the kingdom of heaven is worth selling everything for, then what exactly is the kingdom of heaven? What is Jesus talking about? And that seems to be the critical question. Now, there are some people who say the kingdom of heaven is just heaven. Uh, in other words, getting to heaven is so important that what you do on he- that nothing that you do on earth here matters. Okay. Well, it's certainly true that eternity is incredibly important. In fact, just to give you some perspective, let me give you a visual. You've probably seen this before. You, I'm sure you can't see this, but on the end of this rope. I have highlighted just a little green spot. It's probably about as wide as your thumbnail, wide as your fingernail. And this little mark on the rope represents your life, the 70, 80, 90 years, whatever you have, okay? Now, let's try to get an idea of what eternity looks like. Let's say we start over here and unfurl the rope, okay? It's about 15 feet, okay? Now, think about your 80 years here and think about this as eternity. Okay. What happens during that time matters. And actually, it goes on and on and on. But I think you get the, I think you get the idea. You understand the, the visual there. Okay. And this is a point that Jesus makes in a lot of places. For instance, he says in, in uh, Mark eight thirty six and 37, he says, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange Jesus also encourages us this way in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. You see, whatever your it is, it better take that eternity into consideration. Because it's pretty important. So don't minimize that. But it also turns out that the kingdom of heaven also has a lot to do with right now. You see, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about a new way of living this life. Okay? And it starts with the decision to follow Jesus, and it culminates in eternity. So you get there eventually. It culminates in life after this life, but it also has a lot to do with what you do right now, how you live your life right now. In fact, I believe that whatever it is that you're looking for here is actually just the physical expression of a spiritual desire that God has placed inside of you. For instance, some people come to church or return to church when they have a child and they suddenly realize that they are responsible for this precious life and they have no idea what to do. Oftentimes that happens. They need a guide. There are some people who find out that the world can be a really lonely place, and they need friendships, and people they know will care about them. Some people come because they feel a general sense of hopelessness, and they don't even know what they're looking for. They just know that what they're doing doesn't seem to be working anymore, and they feel like they're driving through life without a clear destination. And each of these seems like a simple and practical longing, but they all have a spiritual source. And I believe that these feelings that you have, the desires that you have for any of these things is God tugging at you and saying, hey, here I am, don't forget about me. I have the answer here. Just like Augustine said in his famous prayer, God, you made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. That is the longing that each of us have, even if it's expressed in other physical ways in the world. If we are made for God, then every longing that we have finds its fulfillment in him. So the question is, is where do we start then? Where do we start on that journey? Well, what you'll find is, is that following Jesus starts with a decision to follow Jesus. And it's just like anything else. If you want to be on the chess team or go to college or fly to Hawaii, you have to make up your mind that you want to do those things. So you have to sign up, you have to enroll, or you have to buy a ticket. But that's not the end. That's actually the beginning of the journey. If you're on the chess team, then you have to practice chess and play matches. If you're accepted to college, then you have to go to class and study and all the other things that you do in college. When you decide that you want to fly to Hawaii, then you have to buy the ticket and get on the plane. And that's where it all starts. And in the same way, following Jesus starts with a decision. And when you make that decision, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done in the past, whether you feel guilty about it or not, if, you're, if you... If you turn and you say, I want to follow you, Jesus, then God welcomes you into the family. But it doesn't stop there. Because when you're in the family, then you become an apprentice of Jesus, and you learn how to live life from Him. And you'll learn hard lessons along the way. You'll probably fail. Um, um, You'll probably mess up. But you have to know also that Jesus is patient. And he will walk with you, and he will teach you, and give you grace, and eventually what you'll see is your life be transformed, but it all starts with a decision to follow Jesus. Now, there are some of you in here who say, you know, that sounds really good to me, and you're almost there, but not quite, because there are some barriers that are keeping you from making that decision. And so, what I want to do over the next few minutes is I want to talk about some of the barriers that people have to making that decision to start following Jesus. And we're going to do it this way. Last week, we started talking about the ingredients to growth. If you weren't here for that or if you haven't watched it online yet, we've got it online. You can go back to our website, weightparkchurch.org, and you can watch that whole message. But we talked about four ingredients that happen with growth. We talked about right knowledge, right affections, right practice, and right community. And, and as I thought about it, as I thought about the barriers that, that come up to people coming to Jesus, I also realized that all of these ingredients for many people can also be barriers to faith, okay? Each one of them can be a point of growth, but they can also be a barrier to you, okay? So let's, let's talk about them, okay? The first one is knowledge. This, we might call this the intellectual barrier. Okay? And last week we, we said that growth in knowledge is to align your view of the world with reality. Okay? You start to see things as they really are. But the fact is, is that life is really complicated. I don't know if you've noticed this before. Okay? And, and sometimes it's hard to know what's true. And yet oftentimes people of all religions, of no religion at all, can tend to give some simplistic answers to the complex questions of life. Even Christians do that. I know it's hard to believe. Now, there are some people who are satisfied with those answers. There are some people where the intellectual side doesn't bother them very much at all. Maybe they have the gift of faith and they say, yeah, you know, maybe I don't know the answer to that. But you know what? I know Jesus is who he says he is. And some people are satisfied with that. But there are also many people for whom those complex, uh, those simple answers to complex questions just don't satisfy. And so when Christians try to give simplistic answers to them, then they feel like maybe Christianity doesn't have any answers. Maybe it's just wrong. See, but I don't believe that we have to give simplistic answers. You know, I don't know that Christianity will answer every question that you have about life, but then again, I don't think any belief system will answer every question that you have about life. But at the same time, One thing I know is that all throughout history, even today, there are great thinkers in virtually every field of study and every walk of life who have come to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so even though that may not be proof that it's true, what you can't say is that it's impossible to be an intellectual and be a Christian. It's impossible to be a biologist or a geologist or a philosopher and believe in Jesus. Can't say that. Now, I believe that Christianity gives the best answers to complex questions, okay? But if you're not sure, then at the... Back of your notes, I've listed some resources for you that are really helpful. And, of course, I'm always willing to talk to you. One of the resources is our beta series that we did last fall where we addressed five questions that people have about faith. You're welcome to go on our website and, and view that. Um, it started, like, I think, the end of September. Um, and you can look at that. It's just called beta. Uh, but I'd love for you to take a look at those things. And, and what I think you'll see when you look at some of these resources and if you do some reading, is that there are many people for whom the big questions in life were not the barrier to belief, but they were actually the thing that led them to Christ. Now, you might be someone who can agree that Christianity can do a pretty good job of answering the big questions of life, at least as good as anything else, and yet it's still really hard. You have a hard time committing because there are so many options out there um, and you wonder, how can anyone decide when there are so many things? This is that, uh, that choice paralysis thing, okay? Well, if that's you, let me just give you, ask you a question and give you a bit of encouragement, okay? The question is this, is do you want to believe it? Do you want to believe it? Because that makes a big difference. Makes, in fact, it makes a huge difference in whether you find the answers to the question satisfying we had someone contact our church. Actually, um, they contacted us on Monday, and I was out looking for a car. I don't know if you knew that. Um, So I was out of the office, and so Keith answered some of the questions that this gal had about faith, and he did a really great job of you know outlining it and doing the best he can and pointing her to resources and things and his reply was more questions and the more replies that we got there the more we came to see that she was not sincere in her asking she was doing it only to be argumentative she was only doing it to try to convince us that you know what we thought was really silly and i don't expect that any answer that Keith would have given to any of those questions would have made any difference because she wasn't open to it. She didn't want it to be true. They weren't inquisitive. They were argumentative. And so I don't expect that there's any answer that would satisfy. But here's my encouragement. Explore from the posture of wanting to believe. Just ask yourself, what if this were true? How good could it be? And that doesn't mean that you have to accept simplistic answers. But it does mean that you have to explore with an open and sincere heart. Because I doubt that anyone is really open to belief unless they really want to believe. So that's the first barrier. Intellectual, um, what we call um, right knowledge. Okay? The second barrier is affections. Okay? This barrier is not so strictly intellectual as it is emotional. It's it's. I guess what you'd call existential. Now, in my experience, for most people, this is a greater barrier to faith than the intellectual questions. So think about the problem of evil, for instance. This is kind of the big conundrum of of all time for everyone, not just for Christians. Now, we think of this as an intellectual barrier. Uh, But for most people, it's actually more of an emotional or existential barrier. Because even if you can find intellectual answers that make sense, that can, that can make sense of the problem of evil, there still seems to be an excessive amount of suffering for an all-loving God. And again, even if you can find an answer to that, I think people's problem with that oftentimes has more to do with their own suffering or the suffering of someone they love than it is about the intellectual barrier for it. Now, this doesn't make the hurdle less. In fact, for many people, it makes it more and it requires different answers. Maybe the emotional barrier has more to do with parents who claim to be Christians but were abusive or hypocritical. Of course, it's not hard to say that any individual Christian doesn't represent all Christians, but it's another thing to live through that kind of a childhood and to have to deal with the aftermath of it. Okay? That's an emotional barrier. Okay? And it makes sense that this... Kind of barrier is a greater barrier for many people, given some of the research. Uh, psychologist Jonathan Haidt, for instance, who I've referred to many times, shows that our lives tend to be directed, he said, 85 to 90% by our emotions and only 10 to 15% by our conscious choices. And so if that's the case, then the motivation tends to be far more emotional than it does intellectual. And this was the case with linda vogel and so we asked linda to tell her story
1: when i was 24 my brother died in a hunting accident and it was on halloween and i was working in the city and my mother called me it was on a friday and it was a shock i i was married at the time and I called my husband and we got in the car and drove down to Austin and uh, we had the funeral. And I went back to my life, you know, living in the city. Uh, but I missed him. We were close. So it was, it was tough. I, I, I had a hard time. It was not that long after, a year and a half, um, I was in the midst of a divorce. And so I went through the divorce. But I did many of the things that a 20 year old that has been married and now I'm out in the world. I was out partying. I was drinking too much many times. Um, times that, you know, I think back and I think, oh man, how did I get home? Um, but it wasn't enough. And it came to the point that I thought, I. Even though I was doing those things, there was something inside of me that was just not right. I just didn't feel right. And I knew I was disappointing God. And I just couldn't believe that God could love me the way I was. I just felt like I needed to be better. I needed to do better. Um, And I failed. I mean, like I said, it was a step forward and two steps back. And finally, uh, when I was about 30, it was on a Saturday night. I remember it, it's etched in my heart, that um, I found myself praying and I was crying. And I got down on my knees and I just threw my hands up and I said, I can't do it anymore. I cannot do it on my own. I need you. And that was it. That was my turning point where I started to walk with the Lord every day. And not to say that for the next several years I was washed in white and was perfect, I wasn't. And that was still a journey. That was still a learning and a journey um, for me. But I came through it and stronger. Um, I think when you have to deal with personal struggles like that of, of behavior or relationships, that when you come out on the other side you are stronger and you know that it's God that brought you there. And so your trust goes even deeper. I feel so bad for people who are struggling with those same feelings, those same doubts, that they're just not good enough. You know, that they they have to be different, that God couldn't possibly love them. And I like I said, I want to shake them, and I want to walk up to them and say, No, God does love you, he, and He loves you beyond, beyond anything you can imagine. And, and that if any difference is going to happen, it'll happen with Him.
0: emotional life can be a barrier to faith, but it can also be the thing that brings us there. If it's the thing that motivates us, then oftentimes, just like it did with Linda, it was an experience of just being exasperated with life and just saying, you know what, my life just doesn't seem to be going anywhere, and God, I need you to, to take control here. And so it kind of worked both ways for her. Number one, her brother's death and her divorce made her uh, find comfort in wild living, but it was only after she came to the end of herself that she was able to find peace with God, the emotional barrier. Third barrier for many people is the barrier of practice. People inherently know that when you start to follow Jesus, that you have to start to live differently. Self-control is a higher value than self-expression. It's about delayed gratification rather than instant gratification. It's about denying yourself rather than indulging in your passions. And then there are other practices, like things like corporate worship and prayer and Bible study. And I think there are a lot of people who just don't want to have to deal with those things, who just aren't really into it. And they say, you know, I just would rather not have to deal with all of it. And part of the reason for that is, is that we live in a world that says that the greatest value in life is freedom. And it's true, freedom is something that we all desire. We would much rather be free than to be slaves. But most of the time, our society defines freedom as the absence of outside constraints. In other words, it's the ability for me to do whatever it is that I want to do. And so we say the fewer rules there are, the freer I am. And that kind of freedom feels nice, I have to admit it. It's it's good to not have restrictive rules around us. But <clears throat> there's a greater kind of freedom. Okay? <clears throat> it's the ability to do What's more valuable in life? Sometimes these freedoms are actually in conflict with each other. Let's take one example. Let's say there's a man in his 60s who loves to eat whatever he wants to eat. I know that's hard to imagine, okay? but, but stay with me here. okay? Loves to eat whatever he wants to eat, but he also loves spending time with his grandchildren. So he goes to the doctor, has a checkup, finds out he has some heart problems, and his doctor says... That you're gonna to have to stop eating your favorite foods, or else you're gonna have a heart attack. Now, <clears throat> most people today would say that freedom is the ability to do whatever we want, but in this case, for the man to eat whatever he wants and to play with his grandchildren, start to come into conflict there. He can't have both, because if he eats whatever he wants, then he, will be, uh, he, he won't be free to play with his grandkids, because he'll be bedridden or he'll be dead. And so he has to choose one over the other. You see, the other kind of freedom is the ability to be able to do what's best or whatever will have eternal payoff. And so when Scripture talks about freedom, it's actually, well, it talks about both types of freedom. But Jesus talks about freedom where he says, for instance, in John 8, 36, he says, When the Son has set you free, you are really free. The Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And what he means is that Jesus can give us both kinds of freedom. See, the Bible says that when we come to Jesus, that we are free from sin. And I know that sounds old-fashioned, but the truth is, is that sin can make us slaves. When we indulge in our desires, we become slaves to our desires, whether it's alcohol or money or sex or power, all of these things. At the beginning, they seem like they're giving us freedom, but they actually lead to slavery. But when we align our lives with the way of Jesus... Then we don't have to be enslaved by those things, and we can become what God created us to be in the first place. And so in that way, practicing the way of Jesus is not restrictive. It actually leads to a life of freedom and of purpose, which is really the greater kind of freedom anyway. So there's the barrier of practice. Finally, the reason some people don't get through the barrier of faith is the problem of community. And usually this barrier is the result of a bad church experience, and, uh, and they're all over the place. For instance, there are people who grew up in overly strict churches that squashed questions being asked as unspiritual. And this was the case for our friend Daniel Brick. When we did our beta series this fall, I asked him, uh, what are some of the questions that you have about Christianity? Because I know that had been a struggle with him for a long, long time. And, and at first, he was floored that I even asked the question. And so he responded with a number of questions, and they, you know, it was a long list of questions. And, and afterwards, he felt bad, and he sent me another email, and he said, I'm sorry, that's way more than you wanted. It seemed accusatory, and I, I apologize. Just forget all those questions. And I wrote him back, and I said, no, Daniel, not at all. Those are great questions. Thank you so much for asking those. And he wrote me back, and I did get his permission to share this, by the way. And, and I looked through my emails, and I, this was his reply to that, to that second email. He said, I'm so grateful for your response. I've kept so much bottled up inside for so long, either because I assume no, is, no one is interested or feared the response will be judgmental in the extreme." But your response has been to open the door wider, a door I expected a believer to slam in my face. That's what happened when I was in high school, when I confided in a priest two years apart. The first one told me to stop reading literature because it was challenging my faith in Holy Mother Church and her teaching authority. I kept reading. The second one, in my senior year, said it was good... Uh, It was good I wasn't going to a state university, but rather St. Thomas. He actually said that if I keep thinking these non-Catholic thoughts, my soul would turn to dust. That image really disturbed me, but fortunately, reading secular humanist literature, literature made my inner life a garden. So by 18, I turned my back on Catholicism, and by extension, Christianity. Now... The point is not to denigrate the Catholic Church, because this could have happened in any Protestant church as well. The point is, is that his experience with the church closed the door on Christianity for most of his life. Now, maybe that's not the issue. Maybe it's a teenage girl that gets pregnant and is treated harshly and rejected by the church. It might be spiritual or sexual or other kinds of abuse. It could be the hypocrisy of people who are supposed to be Christian leaders but didn't really live that way. And whatever it is, I don't want to make light of those things. Those are are serious things. But instead, I want to say, I'm sorry. If that's been your experience with the church, if that's been your experience with community, I'm sorry. It shouldn't happen that way. But of course, if a bad church experience is a barrier, then a good one is an invitation. Daniel would tell you that his door to Christianity was reopened recently, one that had long ago been closed. And a big reason for that is the acceptance that he's felt from this community right here, that you've allowed him to come with a different way of thinking And the questions that he has and the uncertainties and and doubts that he has. You know, he's always been an inquisitive guy. And I don't know that he came searching for anything. He really came to support Sonia at first. And so I don't know if he would say that he was searching for anything. And yet, he's found something here. Probably more than he thought he was going to find. That's the power of right community. Now... With all of these barriers, I'm not asking you to become super Christian right away, okay? Um, It's not out of the realm of possibility, and sometimes that happens. Sometimes Jesus gets a hold of people and their life is instantly transformed because God can do amazing things. But really what I'm asking you today is that if you are in this stage and you'd say, you know, I'm looking for something, I don't really even know what it is, is just to take one step just to take one step. Maybe the way you can do that is just to ask yourself a question, is just to say, do I want to believe? Do I want this to be true for me? And then think about what is the barrier? Maybe it's one of these that we mentioned today. It probably fits into one of those categories. But what's the greatest barrier that keeps me from turning and following Jesus? And You know, the truth of the matter is, is that for a lot of people, these things are barriers. But for other people, they're just excuses. Because they'll say, this is a barrier for me, but don't really ever take the time to try to cross the barrier, try to get through there. And so what would it look like for you to finally say, you know what, I'm actually going to try to get through this. And I'm going to be intentional about it. And there are two ways that this can happen. Sometimes when you make this decision, then God enters your life and the barrier just seems to shatter. Or maybe you find that what you thought was a wall was actually just a snowbank and God melts it away. But the other way is that you look into it and you offer forgiveness for the wrongs that have been done to you. Or you look into the questions that you You know, talk with me or Keith or a trusted friend that you have. That you try again to find a community that cares more about your character than your comfort. And over time, you just start to chip away at the barrier. But this time, it takes your will in cooperation with God's power. And it means putting in work and effort to study or to discipline yourself to live a different way or to seek out a godly Christian that you admire and let them guide you. But one way or another, that would be the call to you today is to just take that one step. Now, we're going to pray here. Um, Let's have the uh, the, uh, worship team come forward and and we're about to take communion here as well. And um, I, I don't... I don't believe in over-emotionalizing things, all right? So I think you need to take time to consider it, but here's what I'll say, is there's a prayer that I have here that I think could be really helpful for you. Like I said, you might not become super Christian today, okay? But I want you just to, to pray this prayer with me. If this is where you are, you can say this. God, if you are there... I really do want to know you. I want to live how you want to have me live. I don't know everything that it means to follow you, but I'm willing to try. Show me more of who you are as I follow you with what I have to give. Help me to become all that you created me to be. I want to choose you today as best I can with as much as you've given me. Lord, we want to thank you that you are active in our lives. We want to thank you that you are drawing us to yourself. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room today who would say, I'm looking for something and I, maybe I didn't really even know what it was, but I hope the answer is Jesus. Lord, I pray pray that they would be willing to, to make that decision and to start to explore and to start to live differently. God, I pray rather than just sitting on the fence or allowing the barriers to be excuses, that they would try to break through to the other side. And as they do that, as they say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Lord, may you enter their lives And strengthen them. Give them the power to do what you are calling them to do. Give them the power to be the person you're calling them to be. And may they find peace and purpose in that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.